Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. A young, young investment banker was driving his brand new BMW. And he was driving his BMW on a snow-covered mountain road. He, of course, lost control of his car and was headed for a steep, steep cliff. At the last moment, he jumped out from the car. The car plummeted to the bottom of the cliff, burst into flames. Escaped and injured, though the man had missed death, he was severely injured. How? Well, his arm got caught in the seatbelt and was torn off from his shoulder. A good Samaritan, a trucker, saw the accident, stopped by to render aid. The young man was staring at the ravine saying, My BMW! My new BMW! The trucker said, You got bigger problems than, than that car. We've got to find your arm and get you to the hospital. Noticing that his arm was missing, the banker paused and then groaned. My Rolex, my brand new Rolex. Talk about priorities. Talk about priorities. Paul is going to direct us and show us what our priority is. But before we get there, let me remind you just a bit. The book of Philippians, so far, has been in the pursuit of joy. And when I mean pursuit, I mean it's that chasing. It's that chasing of that joy. And so far we've learned, actually in chapter 1, we learned the joy of community, how important it is that we're a family, and how important it is that we do life together. It's more than just coming in church and sitting in the blue chairs and going, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Haven't seen you, but it's more. I heard somebody um, telling my precious sister, hey, if you need anything, you text me. I'm telling you, text. that's doing life together. Okay, it's not letting somebody get a knee replacement and, and, and we just, oh, well, good luck. We'll pray for you. Amen. It's, it's doing, okay, we're getting off here. Had too much coffee. I get it. But we also talked about the joy of suffering, the joy of suffering. And we need to realize, as, as Solomon writes in the book of Ecclesiastes, that, that God sends not only the good, but he also gives us suffering so that we could draw closer to him. And that's not a very popular message to preach these days, is it? Hey, guess what? You're going to suffer. I don't want to go to that church. <laughs> I, want, I want the good stuff. I want the pat on the back. I want the, the champion within me. Unfortunately, life means we're going to suffer, and we need to find joy in that suffering. Lord, how can I draw closer to you? Here's why. All of you in this room, a hundred years from now, it's not going to matter what your life is. It's only going to matter, do you know my Jesus? You won't be here in a hundred years. Then we also learn, guys, in chapter 2, the joy of unity, the joy of obedience, following his word, and then we talked about the joy of influence, the joy of influence. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the pursuit of priority, the pursuit of priority. More importantly, Paul's going to focus later on into, the, into knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus. Now, as I was putting the message together, that kept jumping out at me, and I think it is a priority. If we're going to talk about our priorities, what's the priority? The question is, do you know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? So let's talk, if you will, if you don't mind, just a moment about knowing Jesus. Now I'm going to slow down. I know I get real excited and I've had coffee and I'm trying to get through this, but I want to slow down because if I were to look at my heart as your shepherd, here's what it would be. That all of us in this room, all of us watching online, whatever it might be, would know Jesus in a wonderful, a personal, and an intimate way. That's my heart. So that every one of us in this room could live a victorious 
life. You see, the Christian life from time to time is lived like a roller coaster. One minute you're up, you're high, you're praising the Lord. Next minute you're down in the valley screaming, your eyes, tears coming down, scared half to death. Next minute you're coming up, praise the Lord. Next minute, and, and, and somebody's life is like this, up and down, up and down, based on the choices we made. But here's what I want to say. I want to show you that the, the Christian life should be more of just a slow upward climb in progressive sanctification, knowing him even more. It's one thing to know Jesus when you accept it. Oh, I come before you, please forgive me, Lord. Okay, I'm saved, I'm saved. What does that mean? I don't know, but I'm saved. And then, and then you begin your walk. But as you grow, the question is, do you know Jesus? Now, here's what I want to do. If you don't mind, I want to unpack this before we actually jump into our study. Here's what I want you to do. Notice with me, verse 10, we're going to jump forward and then come back. Philippians 10, or 3.10, says this. Paul is writing, he says, that I may know him. Everybody see that? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. Paul's priority and our priority should be the same thing. We find joy, everybody say joy. We find joy in knowing Jesus. And Paul teaches us, Paul teaches us about the about joy basically the pursuit of priority. But if you don't mind, I'd like to take a deeper look into our hearts to make sure you and I know Jesus. I want to make sure that you and I know Jesus, but more importantly, that he knows us. That he knows us. Why? Because there's a verse in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, there's a couple of verses that I wish were not written in the Bible. I wish it was one of those things where I could go, okay, erase that, I don't want to talk about that. But unfortunately, it's there, and it scares me to death. Oh, it doesn't scare me for me. It scares me for others. You see, it's Matthew chapter 7. I won't go all through this, but it's Matthew chapter 7, picking it up in verse 21, and it reads this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Now stop right there. Do you see how this jumps out at us? Not everyone. Not everyone? It implies that there's a group of people that are going to run to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's erase that. Can we erase that? It scares me. He says, but those who will enter the kingdom of heaven are those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And then and you go, okay, I want to do his will. But, but, but then it's like the Lord goes back and he says this. Many will say to me in that day. Now, here's some operative words that should jump out at us. What are they? It says, not everyone and many. Not everyone and many. Why? I don't like the word many. He could have said a few. Hey, a a few of the, uh, I can handle a few. A few might be like, yeah, I'm living the hypocrite. But it says many. Many. Many will say to me in that day, now, notice, Lord, Lord. You see, you and I cannot call Jesus Lord unless we're willing to obey him and know him. You can't say, Jesus is my Lord and still do the things of the world. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Many, many in that day say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. Think about what he's saying, guys. Think about what he's saying. We did ministry in the name of the Lord. We lived, if you will, for the... Here's what jumps out, and and here's what he's saying. There is a group, many, there's a group of people who are doing ministry but don't know Jesus. When I say that, 
what person comes to mind? Judas. Judas walked with my Jesus three years. He saw miracles. He saw things that would blow your mind. He felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. He did these things, and yet, he didn't know my Jesus. You see, for when it was time, he sold them. Judas? Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? Yeah. Lord, Lord, what, what would be a modern day equivalent? Lord, Lord, didn't we go to church in your name? Went to church. Showed up in that building. Lord, Lord, didn't we do children's ministry in your name? Lord, Lord, didn't we? And again, we can do ministry, but not know Jesus. Here's another thing that scares me, church, and I have to check my heart on a, on a daily basis. There are pastors in this world that are behind pulpits teaching the Word of God that don't know Jesus. They really are. You go, how can that be? There's a statistic out there that says, and I don't know what, what the number is, but it says that there are pastors who don't want to do what they do, but they can't find another job, and so they continue to do this, but they don't know the Lord. They're getting paid well. They've got, they got a big church. And they get up there, and they've, and they've, and they've crafted their skill, but they don't know Jesus. Look at verse 23. And I will declare to them, notice, I never knew you. Depart from me. And again, think about this. Think about this. It's not that the Lord's sitting with his arms crossed going, I didn't know you. I don't know you. He's, he's got his arms open saying, I want to know you. But you've got to know me. You've got to know me. You've got to get rid of that pride. And so again, here's the thing. Do, do you know Jesus? And does Jesus know you? Does he know you? Listen, these people right here, they knew a lot about the Lord. Even enough to do ministry. Come on, somebody. But their hearts were far from Him. Their hearts were far from Him. In simple terms, knowing about someone means having knowledge of certain facts about Him, while knowing a person means having a relationship with Him. Now listen to me. Don't confuse your earthly relationship with your heavenly your heavenly relationship. We all have earthly relationships. We all have maybe a spouse we love or parent, whatever it might be, whatever relationships we have. And we have to be careful because sometimes when those relationships go awry, we, send, we tend to do that to our heavenly Father. And I say this from experience because if I can be vulnerable and insecure, there were times when I would, I would compare my earthly father, whom I loved dearly, but he was not a perfect man, to my heavenly father. And when I would get in a fight with my best friend, which you always do, right? Your kids and you'd get in a fight and I'd come home bloodied and crying and I'd tell my dad, I just got in a fight. Instead of loving and nurturing and encouraging me, his attitude was, well, you want me to, you want me to put you over the fence again and do it? And I was like, I, I don't understand this. And so I took that attitude with my relationship with my heavenly father. And so when I mess up, I don't want to come to my heavenly father going, God, I'm sorry I messed up. I'm thinking he's going to put me over the fence again. So be careful that we don't draw that in. We don't be careful. Because, because knowing Jesus is having a relationship with him. Knowing about somebody is kind of familiarity with public persona that that makes a person feel closer to another, but it's not founded on an actual relationship. When you listen to somebody on the radio or via podcast, and this is somebody you listen to all the time, and they mention people that are in their lives, you tend, if you listen long enough, you tend to feel like you know them. And I'll tell you, there'll be people on the radio who, who heard me or hear me talk about Nathalie, and the struggles with Nathalie and cancer and so forth, 
they'll come in and feel like they know Nathalie, but they've never met her in their lives. You understand that? We do that. We do that. Those of you who listen to Jack Hibbs feel like you could walk up to Jack any moment and be like, hey, Jack, how's it going? Because you've heard tons of sermons with him, but you don't know him. You know a lot about him. People will ask me, do you know? Yeah, I know Jack. We've gone to conferences together. Jack doesn't know me. He doesn't know me. I grew up listening to Greg Laurie. How many of you know who Greg Laurie is? Yeah, I grew up listening to Greg Laurie. One time I met him at a conference, and I was like, Greg, kind of starstruck, this is Greg. And he looked at me like, I don't know you, and I felt so bad because I was like, Psh. And his friend, and, and, his like, and his like friend was like, oh, don't worry, that's Greg. He's just real introverted. I'm like, what? It's weird, but that's how we do. That's how we do. Now, let me say this. It's important to know about Jesus. Just as we know about our friends and our family members. But it's vital to actually know him. How do we get to know him? By listening to the things he says. What does that mean? Guys, by reading his word and listening through prayer. Let me stop right there because sometimes we think prayer is simply spewing out my request to God. Lord, here I am. If you could do this. and Amen. That's not prayer. Prayer is waiting for him to speak back to you. And a lot of times when you come to church, the moment you hit that door, you should be in prayer. God, I'm expecting you to speak to me. I'm expecting you to speak to me through your word. I'm expecting, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to worship, and I'm going to get my heart right. And the devil comes in, and he tries to distract our flesh through all kinds of stuff. Bless the Lord, whatever we're singing. And I'm ready for Rosa's to eat right now. We get so hungry and whatever it might be. Or, or what you have to do today. Come on, somebody. Bless the Lord, my lawn is a mess. And all, you know, and, and we just start thinking of the stuff. I have so much laundry to do, I wish he'd hurry. We do that. Kids are like, hurry up, Pastor, I've got a lot of homework to do. Or I'm going to flunk college. Well, we prepare our hearts, guys, and, 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 and I think about this, guys. And so I want to listen to what he says, and I want to share our hearts with him in prayer. Lord, here's my heart. And then I want to be obedient, doing the things he likes to do. He likes to do. Isn't that cool? Doing the things he likes to do. Men and women, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because why? Because when you find what you think is the one, men... You do things you never thought you wanted to do. Um, is that true? None of you ever went crafting before you met your wife. <laughs> but all of a sudden you love it. Do you want to go crafting with me? Okay. And, and there you go. And you hate it. And if you tell me you like it, we'll have counseling sessions in my office after church because I'm telling you. You've done, but, but, but how many things do we do that he wants to do? Lord, what, is, what, what does the Lord want to do? What does he want to do? I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to worship him. And I don't mean, okay, we come to service and 10 o'clock starts, we lift our hands, there's music. I'm talking about, man, in your house, all alone, worship music up and there you are. Just worshiping, just praising God. Tears running down. Man, your husband comes in, he goes, what happened? And you have makeup all the way down and says, man, I've been loving Jesus. What happened? What happened? Also, which is important, spending time with others who also know him. Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship. Guys, we come in and we say, hey, did you... You see the games yesterday? There's some pretty good games, right? Man, and then and we start talking, but all of a sudden it just transforms into, hey, what, what, what is God saying to you? What, what? And, it, and it's wonderful fellowship, and then somebody blesses you. Somebody blesses you. Would, you. would you be sensitive enough to listen to the Word of God so He could bless you? Because you never know what someone is struggling with. Let me illustrate it this way. The other day we had noonday prayer. 
And we all gather together, and, and, and something prompted Eva O'Reilly to read something from Jeremiah, and it was the Holy Spirit, obviously, and it ministered to me. Because sometimes we feel like we have to work for God's approval. We have to work for Him to smile and go, I love you, Ben. Good job, Pastor. But that's not God. God goes, I love you because of who I am, not because of who you are or what you've done. And that freed me up at that moment. See, because you don't know what someone else is going through at that time. And so Christian fellowship is important. It's very important. So think about this. Think about this. Knowing Jesus. I, I think about this. How many of you remember the days without caller ID? Look, only the... Well, I'm not going to say it. Only the older guys back there like me. The young kids here go, caller, we, we've always had caller ID. No, we didn't. Many years ago, before caller ID, and you could see who was calling, I would get a phone call from my wife, Nathalie. And it'd go something like this. The phone would ring and I'd answer, hello, because I didn't know who it was. That's what you do when you don't know who it is. You say hello. And she would say, no, Nathalie always says hi. What are you doing? That's all she said. That's what she says. And then I would say, who's this? And she'd say, Nathalie. And I'd say, Nathalie who? And she'd say, your wife, silly. Now that would never happen, would it? You go, why? Because the moment I called without caller ID, I knew her voice. How did, how, do you, how did you know her? How did you know her voice? Because I've spent time with her. I've spent time with her. I know Nathalie. I know. If I may, it's the same with Jesus. You see, there are many of us in this room going, I think God is speaking to me, but he sounds a lot like me. Ever have that? God's telling you to do something, and you're like, I think it's, is that you, God, or is that me? I'm not sure. Because it's the thought process. I don't think we hear an audible voice if you do. But sometimes you go, okay, so what's, what's your point, Pastor? Here it is. Listen. When you spend time and you saturate yourself with my Jesus, guys, you know his voice. You know it. You're not going, oh, that's me. You're going, that's God. That's God. That's God. It's not your voice. It's not a demon trying to speak and, and get you off course. You know Him. You've spent time with Him. And that's the same way. That's the same way. When you hear His voice, you know it's Him. So my question to you, precious saints of God, do you know Him? Do you know His voice? When He speaks to you. When He speaks to you. So what does it mean? What does it mean to know Him? To know Him. Well, again, think about this. To know Christ includes sharing, really, again, four aspects of Christ's life, which Paul will address in verses 10 and 11. These verses provide the first three. You go, what are they? First, knowing Jesus clearly involves the power of the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus conquered death and provided a way to know the Lord. When you and I celebrate Easter, it's not about bunnies and eggs and baskets and, and, and family and ham and all that good stuff. That's all a great part of it. But the uh, reality is we're celebrating the resurrection because the resurrection see, means so much more to us. This is why it breaks a pastor's heart when you have a bunch of people show up on Easter and then don't come back. Because it's the resurrection. They're missing it. The resurrection. Are you kidding me? It, the resurrection gives me an opportunity to know Jesus. Me. And you. To talk to Him. And Him talk back to you. The second thing Paul notes is the importance of sharing in His sufferings. And many believers miss this trait, believing that Christian faith provides Freedom from hardship. Hey, come to my church and you won't have any problems. 
This is common and this is a false teaching of modern motivational speakers who use biblical terminology in their speeches. Both Paul and the rest of the early church knew that living for Christ included sharing in both joys and struggles of Christ. And this, time, this sometimes means suffering. Suffering. Paul also notes the concept of conforming to his death. Now catch this. Now Paul's focus is on becoming like him in death not the method of death. He's not saying, hey, you guys need to know, you need to know what it's like to be crucified on a cross. He's not saying that. You go, well, what's his point? Paul wants, he's basically saying, I want to die to the world of sin and temptation so he can be fully transformed in order to be like Christ. And if we're honest in church, this should be a good place to be honest, we struggle with what? With sin and temptation on a daily basis. We struggle. Your eyes open, and immediately, where did your mind go? Sometimes it's not a good place. Before your feet hit the ground, and that's okay. That's I, but 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 we want to, Lord. I don't I don't I don't want to. What's battling your life for sin and temptation? Can I just share this, and then I'm going to move on? It's our social media. We got to be careful. The more we watch social media, the more it's going to battle. Hey, well, why? Why can't my wife be more like that person? Why can't my husband be more like them? Why can't my cooking be more like this? I'm so discouraged, I'm not going to cook for you anymore. Really? Well, it doesn't look like Pinterest. Well, nothing looks like Pinterest. This is knowing Jesus. You ready? The word is experiential. Have you experienced him in your life? Have you been transformed? Do you know Jesus in a wonderful and intimate way? Just a, just, it's nothing you can explain. It's nothing you can write down. You just know. Your heart changed. You know who you were before, and that's not you anymore. It's going, Hey, let me ask you a question. If I took Jesus away from you today, would you get up tomorrow morning? You go, no. He's everything. He's my everything. No, no. I would be dead. I would be dead. I would be curled up in a fetal position and just... And really, that's the point. I want you to know why. Because Paul is going to say, I want to reiterate this point. Here, the priority is knowing Jesus. Now, remember what we've learned so far. Chapter 2, if you recall, is all about humility. And Paul turns to the Philippians and he urges them to participate in Jesus' example by taking up the same mindset, the same mindset. He reminds them that their activities as citizens should be consistent with the gospel of Jesus. He says, this is how it should look. These Christians there in Philippi, well, they were living much like today. They were under severe Roman persecution concerning their loyalty to a Roman empire. Now, keep this in mind, because you and I in the world today, we get frustrated, we get mad, and we just wonder what in the world is going on with our government. But you need to understand that Rome was even worse. And the first century Christians had to live with this, okay, well, are you going to pinch an incense to Caesar and say Caesar is Lord? Or are you going to say Jesus is Lord and risk being killed? Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there's a possibility that that could happen here. That you as a believer, a Christ-like, that's what Christian means, Christ-like, could face persecution based on your confession. You're standing there, hey, you need to pinch incense and say, whatever government is Lord, whatever World Health Organization is Lord, whatever it might be, and you go, no, I'm not going to do it. Well, you're not part of us. You need to be, you're done. You see, they, they did this. And so they're being persecuted. And so Paul says, listen, listen, I get this, but 
here's the difference in the Philippian church. You ready? Their way of life was shaped by another king. Not Caesar, King Jesus. King Jesus. And of course, that might bring persecution. But they're not afraid of the suffering for being associated with Jesus as a way of living out their story of Jesus himself. And then last week, if you weren't here, we discovered that Paul put flesh on humility. You go, what does that mean? Well, he presented Timothy and Epaphrodites. Remember, these Philippians had sent Epaphrodites to care for Paul during his imprisonment, and then Paul sent Timothy to care for the Philippians. This is amazing. You go, well, what was our takeaway from last week? Our takeaway from last week involves several things and that we saw in these two men. And if you weren't here, remember this. It means that we needed to be single-minded for Jesus. That's what we learned with Timothy. Single-minded for Jesus. And I would ask, what does that look like in your life? Single-minded. And it does not mean you put your wife or your husband or, or mom and dad, you don't put them at the bottom of the barrel going, well, I just need to love Jesus because you remember there was a group of Pharisees that would not tithe or give any money or do anything like that because they said, oh, no, we, we've got we've to take care of our parents who they weren't taking care of. So there was that different mindset. It's like, no, single-minded for him means he is priority and then everything else falls into place. My relationship falls into place. Number two, sincerity or sincerely caring for others. Do we sincerely care for others? And we don't do it so we go, hey, listen, I'm caring. Man, God's going to bless me. And, and we have this mindset, church, that if we do something for God, he's going to bless us. It's like if you ask your kid, to, if you don't ask your kid to take out the trash and he takes it out, what's he doing? If I took out the trash. I took out the trash. You didn't ask me. That's not how it works, is it? It's more like, I really want something. I'm going to be really good. I'm going to clean my room. I'm going to do all this extra stuff. Hope mom and dad notice. And then when they ask why I'm being so good, I'll go and say, well, I really want a new phone. Of course, mom and dad feel obligated. That's not sincerity. Sincerity is going, listen, I'm going to help with nothing in return. And then we learned, guys, we learned about, about service, guys, or seeking the Lord Jesus versus seeking motives. And we have to examine our motives. Why do we do what we do? And then we saw number four, service unto the Lord. That was Epaphrodites. He was willing to do that. Then we talked about synergy. What was synergy? It meant teamwork, unity, partnership. And we had to check our hearts and go, are we doing this together? Is Calvary Chapel Lubbock a church that wants to get the gospel out to our hurting and broken city? And then in our broken city and, and our state, not only our city, but our state, and then taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, which means the United States and beyond. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to do that? Guys, we're on 72 radio stations across the United States getting the gospel out. And I don't think this little church, I don't think they think or know what, how big our church is. There they are driving through Atlanta listening to In Christ Radio, in which you guys support prayerfully and financially, and, and, and we're getting the gospel out to the world. And they go, wow, that Pastor Ben, he's a good teacher. He must have a big church. Probably a mega church. There you go. And we don't. We just love Jesus in here, amen? We just love Jesus and we want to get the gospel out. But we've got to work together. There's got to be teamwork. Teamwork. And what about sympathy? Do we have sympathy for others? What does that mean? The feeling of pity and sorrow for someone else's misfortune. And then sacrifice. We learned all about that last week. Now, very quickly, what are we going to talk about this morning? Well, Paul turns to his own story as an example. He's going to talk to those Christians who had been demanding circumcision on non-Jewish Christians. There was a group of men called Judaizers. And Judaizers would follow behind Paul, and he'd give the gospel message. He'd say, hey, you want to get saved? you go, I want to get saved, amen. And they'd come in and go, hey, hey, you need to get circumcised if you really want to be saved. And, and he was putting the law on them, Judaizers. And he's going, that's, that's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. 
And they were stirring up trouble. As a matter of fact, they'd go, don't listen to Paul. Paul's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Don't worry about that. They kept reminding him of his own past when he used to persecute Jesus' followers. And he tried to show them the right standing before God by his zealous obedience to the law and to the Torah. Do you remember that? He was going, okay, okay. Now, so they go, hey, you remember Paul? Paul did the same thing. Paul said you had to be circumcised. Paul, you had to keep the law. What, what made him change his message? Ah, I bet he wanted a big church. That's what it is. But you really should. And, and, and here's this. This is, who, this is who's going to warn us. So, so today, we're going to see three things, guys. If you're taking note, we're going to see Paul's teaching. That's the first part. We're going to see his warning to the Philippian believers. Okay, he's going to give a warning. We're going to learn that. Number two, we're going to see Paul's testimony, his example of having confidence in the flesh. And then number three, we're going to see Paul's transformation, knowing Christ. We've already talked about it, but we're going to see that. So what are they? Paul's teaching, Paul's testimony, and Paul's transformation. Okay, let's go to his teaching. Now, shifting his tone from... Uh, shifting his tone and message from chapters 1 and 2, Paul warns against false teaching in Philippi. Notice. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but to you it's safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Okay, let's unpack it. This is his teaching. Okay, Paul writes, Hey, whatever happens, whatever happens, dear brothers and sisters, he says, be joyful in the Lord. Whatever happens, don't let anyone steal your joy. Listen, nobody made you, so therefore nobody can take your joy from you. Christ is the one who lives in you. Rejoice. And he says, and listen, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I think it's important. I do it to safeguard your faith. Now, your attention, please. Let's be careful. You see what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, now, grasp this, guys. He he says this. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for to me to write the same things to you is not tedious. Oftentimes, we'll get these guys on TV and so forth going, I've got a new revelation from God. And Paul's going, listen, I keep telling you the same thing, and it's not, and, and it's not burdensome. You need to know. Because, guys, we haven't even done this. We haven't even done this. We could go through this umpteen times over, and we'd still get something new from it the next time. So we got to be careful with these prophets and these guys going, oh no, we'll put the Bible away. I have a new revelation from God. I know. Paul says, listen, listen, I'm going to make sure that you're saved. I'm going to keep telling you the same things over. we got to be careful in church. goes, oh, we're going to do this again. I had a lady one time go, I'm not coming to Wednesday night because I already know Genesis. Really? Oh, I've already gone through Genesis. I know all about Really? You mean God can't show you something new? How about this? How about it's not about you? How about maybe God wants to use your gifts and prayer and to come in on a Wednesday night and learn and grow and bless others? Just a theory. I don't know. I don't know. So, who is Paul warning? Think about this, guys. He's referring to the warning in the teaching that follows that he might have delivered to the Philippians in person. He might have said, hey, 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 be careful, be careful, be careful. Now, why? Because he says, beware of dogs. Do you guys see that? And when we first see that, we think of dogs as the, of the wild pack of animals. And, you know, you have a sign in, beware of dog, and then Fido comes up and bites your leg. Mm-mm. I told you, beware of my dog, right? And Fido happens to be a pit bull or whatever. That's not what he means. Okay, What he means here, guys, when he says beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, and beware of the mutilation, well, we have to go back before we unpack this, and we have to say, what, is, what does he mean beware? Beware. Well, 
All three warnings in this verse point to one group. All three of them. Those Judaizers who most likely taught the people that taught all the Christians that they're not saved by faith, but that they had to follow the law. He wrote a whole book. I don't know if you knew this. He wrote a whole book called Galatians and talking about these Judaizers. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Paul being going to different places and a group of men following behind him on the snakes and causing division after? Paul says, God bless you guys. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. And he gives the blessing, walks out the door. And then I'll go, wait, 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 wait. Hold up. Now that Paul's gone, let me tell you the real truth. And he would cause division. That's not, that's not the church of Christ. We're not supposed to be calling, causing division. But he calls them dogs. He calls them dogs. And you go, why did he call them dogs? Well, the Greek word here is commonly used in a derogatory manner. And what it means is namely an impure person of whom I told you often, he's going to talk about that, the abominable dogs in filthiness, unchastity, and snarling. And he says, especially the enemies of the cross of Christ. These are dogs. Well, Paul never pulled, no, he didn't pull punches. He told us how it was. He says, beware of them dogs. Well, politically correct, we're not supposed to say that to people. They're, they're humans. So, no, no, no. Paul says, guess what? These are enemies of the cross of Christ. These are enemies. These are enemies. And they didn't believe that the cross was enough. I have to check my own heart, church, and I think so do you. Our salvation comes from putting your faith in Christ alone, and that's it. And God's not going to get up there and go, okay, Pastor Ben, welcome to, welcome to heaven. How you doing? Good, good. He says, let's see your resume. How long were you in Lubbock? Oh, I see that you 20 years. You pastored this year. Okay, good, good. That's a good check mark. Oh, but you were unfaithful here. Hmm. Yeah, but Lord, you didn't know those people. They were hard to pastor. They never listened to me. Seriously, Lord. He goes, no, no, no. Let's see. Okay, well, I understand. And, and he's not going to check my resume, is he? And I'm not going to get to heaven on pastor. You know what? He's going to go, hey, Ben, welcome. And people might go, by what right do you have to be here? And I go, I don't have any rights to be here. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, <laughs> through him and the cross, ah, I'm in. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. Yeah. Yeah. So Paul uses the term dogs to describe the Jewish teacher because they kept emphasizing works, circumcision, and keeping the law. And then last but not least, here's what he says. He says, beware of evil workers. Evil workers. You go, what are those? You can write down deceitful workers. And these weren't just simply evildoers serving not our Lord, he says, but their own belly. In other words, he's saying, beware, here's the translation, beware of evil workmen, and then bad teachers. Bad teachers. If your pastor would stand up here and say, beware of a bad teacher named so-and-so, and you didn't think he was a bad teacher, you would be mad at me. Well, Pastor Ben think he knows everything. Blah, blah, blah. But Paul say, be, beware of these guys out there. Beware. And can I tell you, in 2023, there are a lot of bad teachers, unfortunately. There are a lot of, te there are a lot of teachers that want to get you sideways, get you off the path. Guys, there's a real spiritual battle in our lives that want to get you off the right path. They know the call that God has on your life. They know the ministry that you do in your, in your sphere of influence. He know, the enemy knows that. 
And he wants to trip you up. And so Paul says that. Beware of that. Beware of evil works. These guys are just feeding their bellies. In Romans chapter 16, verse 18, it says this, For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but they serve their own belly. How? By smooth words and flattering speech, deceive their hearts of the simple. Of the simple. Think about what Paul said. He said, man, they're not serving the Lord. They're serving their own bellies. And how do they do that? Man, smooth speech or flattering speech. You guys are the best-looking people in all of Lubbock. I can't believe Look at you. And I know you have five friends that you could bring to church next week. And if every one of you bought five friends, we could pack this place out. Hallelujah. Because the best-looking people hang out with the best-looking people. And I know, you see how silly? But we fall for that. Some of you bowed up. You're like, yeah, he's talking about me. <laughs> so let's go on. Paul says, beware of mutilation. It seems that Paul uses the Greek word, it's um, katanomi, here, katanomi, and it's rendered mutilation. And he's saying that to non-Jews to undergo circumcision for conversion purposes, essentially for mutilating themselves because the work of Christ has rendered circumcision unnecessary for the membership of God's covenant people. You go, what, what does that mean? Well, he's saying, listen, can you imagine? That's a tough sell, isn't it? That's a tough sell. <laughs> hey, all of you guys, you're, you're Gentiles. You want to give your life to Christ? I did, I gave my life to Christ. All right. If you go through that door and, out, and, and back in here, we've got a doctor waiting for you. He's got a scalpel. We're going to take care of some business. I thought I was saved. Well, you are, but we're going to, yeah. And then you have all these guys walking out like this. <laughs> That's a tough sell, isn't it? Well, you're not saved unless you get circumcised. Man, man. Paul says, don't, don't, be careful, be careful. So then Paul goes on to teach, Why? For we worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. He says, what, what he's really talking about is our hearts should be circumcised. The foreskin of our hearts should fall off. And then you see and God reveals to him who he really is. And we rely on Christ alone. Listen, in the morning when we die, give me... I don't, in the morning when we die, give me... That's it. We rely on Christ. If you're, if you're laying on your deathbed, you're not going to call up things that you've done. Ah, oh, Lord, in the morning when I die, give me religion. In all seriousness, we're going to cry out to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And even if you've given your life over in ministry and your heart and all of this stuff, you're still going to cry out for mercy because he's a merciful God. Is that a good place for an amen? Wow, that's good. That's good. Salvation comes when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And yet there are many, many who rely on works or they rely on tradition or they rely on heritage. And many put confidence in their Christian resume. And Paul says, no, 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 it's Christ alone. I'll never forget this story. I was working at Family Life Radio. And one lady came into the radio station. We had testimony. And she looked at another lady and said, boy, I can't wait to get to heaven because my mansion is going to be so big. And the other lady is like, well, why? Because I've done so much for God's kingdom. My mansion is going to be so... What? I was like, I was, I was like, listen, if I get a shack, I'll be happy. I just want to get there. And I don't mean that humbly, well, poor Pastor Ben. I'm just going, I know that in my life, in my works, they're, they're filthy rags compared to the Lord. But she said this, and it blew me away. And Paul says, no, 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 no. It's not about your works. 
It's about Christ alone. That's the teaching. And then he goes to his testimony. To demonstrate the emptiness of the false teacher's message, Paul presents himself as an example to the believers to follow. Much like he portrayed Christ, Timothy, and Epaphrodites as models back in chapter 2. Look at verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has confidence, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, he goes, I more so. He says, listen, you're talking to Paul here. I mean, think about this, guys. He says, man, if, if we're gonna, if we're gonna exchange resumes, <laughs> he says, I've got this one. I've got this one. If anyone thinks they can trust in external accomplishments, he goes, man, I have even more reason to feel that way. And, 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 and Paul gives his resume of the flesh. Now, notice a compliment. If, everybody say if, you could be saved by works, Paul has a good shot. Does he not? Think about it. Look at verse 5. He says, I'm circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. So I'm not, a, I'm not a Gentile. Of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, a blameless. Blameless. Wow. Wow. In three particulars, he shows how he might have more confidence in the flesh. You seen that? Number one, he had pure Jewish blood. Pure Jewish blood. Number two, his legal um, preciseness and high status as such. And number three, his zeal for the law. And when he says, I was circumcised the eighth day, guys, think about what he's saying. He says, literally, he says, that is not one circumcised in later in life as a proselyte. But on the eighth day after birth, as the law directed in the case of Jewish-born infants. Now, if we're being honest in church, we don't compare to Paul, do we? We don't compare to Paul. Like, if this was football, you and I wouldn't even make the team. Like, Paul is varsity, and we're watching the game from the stands. That's about how it is. And, and Paul's not trying to make us feel bad. He's teaching and warning against, against us, the Judaizers, who were, who were teaching this falsely, demanding that you would be circumcised in the flesh. And Paul goes on to say, and you know what? When I think about all of this stuff, I think it's rubbish compared to knowing Christ. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. So what are we talking about, guys? Well, his testimony is really simple. You ready? His testimony should be the same thing as our testimony. Jot this down. Our testimony is not a bragamony where we brag on all the things we've done. It's simply what Christ has done. Hey, can you get up here and give your testimony? I was a dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking sinner. But Jesus! And then you go all about what Jesus has done. You see, I've heard bragamonies where people get up here and they tell you, man, I rode, I rode Harleys with the Hells Angels and we broke into places and we killed people and I did this and I did that and I was doing drugs, da da da, I slept with 15,000 women, da da da. And you're like, okay, golly. <laughs> and then I got saved. That's a bragamony. A testimony points to Jesus. That's his testimony. Hey man, I was circumcised the eighth day. I, was, I mean, if anybody, if anybody could be saved by the works... It was Paul. He goes, but you know what? It's rubbish. Because now we're going to see his transformation. And we've talked about it, so we'll move pretty quick, I promise. But one thing we gained to me, these things I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence and knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is faith in Christ. The righteousness from God by faith. What is Paul saying, guys? He said, once I thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless, worthless because of what Christ has done. Now, I want you to think about what Paul is saying. 
Yes, everything else, he's saying, is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. So here, here's a good indication of us knowing the Lord. You ready? Things that I thought were valuable, and then you can underline whatever they might be, are really worthless compared to Christ. Things that I thought, man, and I want you, I want you to, whatever underline, what is that in your life? What are some things that you thought, oh man, I can't live without, they're valuable to me, and then you knew Jesus, you're like, Guys, we hold on to so many things that, uh, that, that, it, that have no value in this world compared to knowing Christ. They hold on tight, and we don't want anybody to take them. Number two, things I lost sleep over don't mean anything compared to walking with God. I bet I can answer this. How many of you have lost sleep over things that you look back now and go, oh, that was silly willy. I, it, compared to walking with God? Listen to me. The enemy knows that. And he comes in with those fiery darts and he tries to get you to... All of us are insomnia, man. We're sitting there going, oh, we're worried about this, we're worried about that. And really, when you think about it, What's he saying? Man, they don't, those things didn't mean anything compared to my walk with God. And then can we say this? All my works I count as rubbish so that I could really know Christ. All my works. You see, when we read our Bible, it shouldn't be a work, should it? It should be we get to know the creator of the universe in a real way. And we have to do some work, guys. If you're reading the Bible in one year with me, you're going through Isaiah right now, and that's particularly tough. Because you're going, what is he saying? Isaiah is really tough to go through. But, but, it's, but it's God. And you can see that. Paul says to you and I, think about this, I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteousness, I become righteous through faith in Christ. Now, let me stop you right there. We're going we're gonna to be done here in a minute, I promise. Too many pastors will stand behind a pulpit and say, don't preach that. Don't preach grace and mercy. You, you need to tell Christians that they need to do stuff. But St. Augustine once said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and then do what you want to do. Now, why would he say that? Because if you truly love the Lord, it's not a license for us to sin and go out and do what we want to do. If you really love the Lord, you're going to go, I'm going to obey his word. I'm going to obey his word. Yeah, but there's some... Yeah, listen. Yeah, but Paul says... What does he say? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable, and I won't be mastered by any. Yeah, I'm under grace, and all things are lawful. I can go do what I want to do. I'm free. But he goes, but that doesn't mean they all benefit me. And so I'm not going to be mastered by any of that. I need that. So Paul's priority is what, guys? It's knowing Jesus. This is why he says that I may know him, experiential, you know his voice, and the power is resurrection, because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, listen to me, lives in you. I don't think you heard me. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. There you go, now you heard it. Why? Because that's the power you need. That's the power for you to get up in the morning and be victorious. Not you, but Jesus through the Holy Spirit in you. And not only that, but I'm sure some of you in this 
can, can say, and the fellowship of his sufferings. I know a little bit about that, you could say. And being conformed to his death, if by any means I maintain the resurrection of the dead. That I want to put to dead the deeds of the flesh, sin and temptation, that I can follow Jesus. Listen to me, church. You ready? The finish line is ahead. You see it? It's, it's right there. The finish line. Keep running hard and fast. Be faithful because I don't want a little asterisk next to your name. Oh, he finished well. He was a believer. But, what's the asterisk? You guys know what the asterisk means, right? A little footnote. Well, he didn't really finish well. He did this, this, and this, and he fumbled here, and he stumbled. No, no, no. Keep running hard and fast. We're almost there. We're almost there. Keep running. Repent of those things you need to repent of. If some of that is unbelief, repent of that unbelief and fully give your hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. Why? Because as we close our Bible study, we are in pursuit. We're in pursuit of joy. But where does joy come from? Knowing Jesus intimately. We know a lot about Him. We have lots of sermons, lots of podcasts. We know a lot about Him. But I'm begging you, church, do you know Jesus? You go, man, I'm not sure. Well, if you're here today, and maybe throughout the Bible study, you thought, hmm, I know a lot about him, but I'm not sure I know him. I have good news. I have good news. You can know him today. Why? Because my Jesus is standing right now with his arms open wide. He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. And he's saying, I want to know you. Do you want to know me? Then you go, what do I have to do? You have to make a choice because love is a choice. And you have to say, yes, I'm going to follow him. You go, Pastor, I've been coming to this church forever. What do people think? It doesn't matter what people think. What I want you and me to do is just walk out of here going, I know him. I know him. I know his voice. I love him. I can't wait to be with him. That's what I want. Amen? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word and the truth, God, that we can pull from your word. Thank you for Paul under the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we don't need to be saved by works or circumcision or anything else. We're saved by putting our faith and trust in you. Father, but there's more. I want to know you. I want to feel your breath on me. I want to hear your voice. I want to, I want to, I, I want to make that choice to love you with all of my heart. That's why I'm here. Lord, this is, this, is, this is really what it's about. Paul says, I want to know him. The priority of, 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 of the joy of priority, God. And so, Lord, I would pray for myself and for anyone here that we would recommit our lives to you and to ask that, that we would know you. Father, we confess that we know a lot about you, and that's okay. But I, I need to feel you in my heart. I need to walk with you. I need to know the preciousness of your spirit. I thank you for Calvary, Lord. I thank you for this church. My prayer, with every eye closed and every head bowed, can I pray for you? If you're going, Pastor, I'm right there with you. I'm right there. I want to know. I, 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 I just, I've lost my way for a minute. I've lost my way, and, and, and I know a lot about God, but... But I, I don't want to be that guy that says, um, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this in your name? I just really want to know the Lord. And so with every eye closed and every head bowed, if the Holy Spirit has touched your heart, would you just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I just want to know Jesus even more. Even more I want to know him. You can lift up your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Yeah, of course. Amen. We just want to know him more. Amen. I see you guys. God bless you. God bless you. I thank you for the hands that were raised. Here's my heart. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered 100% to him, that God is knocking on your heart today, I want to pray for you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, but God is speaking to you today and you want to know him, you want to be saved, you want, to, you want an eternal place in heaven because of the cross of Christ, would you just lift up your hand? 
because that's the most important thing is knowing him and making him known. Just going to give you a minute. Ah, Lord, we love you. We love you today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, I thank you for the beautiful hands that raise that want to know you, know you, know you intimately, and want to know you just, just personally. They want to walk with you every day. They want to smell your scent, Lord. They want to they say goodnight to you every night and wake up to you every morning. They want to know that you're standing with them with every circumstance and every trial they're going to face. And every good decision that they're going to make, they want to know that you're right there. They want to know that, Lord, when they take their final breath on earth, God, that, that you will be there to usher them into their eternal home. That's what Paul is saying. I want to know him more than anything. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you, if you raised your hand, and if you didn't raise your hand, that's okay. Can we just worship the Lord on this last song with all of our hearts? Man, singing to an audience of one because we know him. Let's stand. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.